Y'all can open up your Bible if you have one. I'm going to share a few announcements and whatnot before we really get to it, but uh, James chapter 5 is where we're going to be. It's one of those short letters back near the back of your Bible. Uh, We're going to be in the last chapter uh, of that letter written by James, Uh, but we'll get there uh, here in just a few minutes. But I want to say a few things to us before and to you before we uh, turn our attention there. One's just a a special welcome to the guests among us. Uh, I saw several college students who are returning. I know some of you back as leaders. I know most upperclassmen and whatnot will be back later today, tomorrow, uh, more fully next Sunday. I know freshmen have a thing going on at, at Grace, but the students that are here, welcome back to you, and also welcome to you, uh, just who live here in our community. If you've decided to worship with us, uh, whether you're invited or just found us somehow, uh, otherwise, we're grateful that you're here with us and, and hope that you feel loved by our church family, uh, met with by the Lord himself. We'd love to know who you are, uh, start to get to know you a bit better. We're not going to make you awkwardly stand up or say your name, anything like that. But if you could fill out a simple form, either a paper version that's on the back of the program you received, uh, it's called a connection card, or fill out the exact same thing online, follow that QR code. Uh, We'll follow up with you uh, this week and in the days ahead to try to set up times uh, to get to know you. But one thing you could do even today, which you may not have known about, is once a month we have, uh, during the school year on Sunday nights, uh, we have what we call coffee with the pastors. We have desserts and coffee and whatnot over in a large room on this side of the building. Uh, That's going to be at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, So myself and a few folks will be here uh, just to welcome whoever is newer to the church and like to come, and you can ask questions. We plan to share a little bit about what the church is like, but want to serve you by answering questions you may have, helping you figure out how we function as a church, what we believe, what we value, those sorts of things. So you don't have to sign up for it. You just show up for it at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, Youth groups starting back up tonight as well, so it it dovetails with that at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, So that's one thing. Welcome to guests. Second is just to those of you who are an active part of our church. Uh, thank you, as always, for your generosity as individuals, as couples, as families, your generosity uh, to the general fund of our church. I wanted to share something with you um, that Jordan Cohn wrote to me. If you don't know Jordan, uh, he is one of our field workers that we've sent out. Uh, him, or He and his family minister in Cameroon, and they've been home the last few weeks. Uh, they just got back to Cameroon uh, to minister this school year and they'll be back next year, Lord willing, for a full year to stay with us and fellowship with us uh, on furlough. But he needed to come home to get his knee looked at. He's been having a lot of trouble with it. And uh, he wanted me, he didn't ask me to share this, but I think he wanted me to share this. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, with, uh, there's nothing secret or anything in here. But I wanted, uh, this has nothing to do with the use of our general fund as a church or anything like that. We try to be very purposeful and plan ahead on those things and funding missions funding mission, uh, but there are some very spontaneous things that developed, and so, even amongst some of you, to help make this trip happen and to minister to them, and it moved him, even when I saw him just before they left, it was, it was moving him to tears to think about, and he, he wanted uh, to write this to me, and I'm going to share it with you just by extension, and I hope that you're encouraged. He said this, he said, what the body and the small groups and CCC friends did for us this summer was such a testimony of God's love and provision and blessing on our lives. People in the body funded our trip, gave us their house, food, bikes, presents, and a vehicle, and they spent time with us, encouraged us, and blessed us and beyond. We ate together, laughed together, even cried together. They picked us up and dropped us off at the airport. They listened, they asked questions, and they shared their own lives. 
And they made their time for our kids and theirs to spend together. And then he said this, all this to say we see God at work in the CCC body. And it's amazing to see the outpouring of love on us because of his love. We hope this encourages you and the whole body. We're extending his fame together. And so I just want to share that with you. Uh, thanks to those of you who were actively part of that. And thanks for the ways you all show generosity, even ways I'm not aware of, uh, toward one another, uh, not just in the giving of formal offerings and things like that, but the way that you use what God's given to you to minister to people. I know that was a blessing to the cones. I want to share that with you. Uh, last thing before uh, we turn here is I wanted to uh, prep you for next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we are doing what we call Food Truck Sunday. This is the fourth time we're giving this a go, so be praying for nice weather. Uh, how will organize that morning is we're not going to have Sunday school next Sunday, uh, so no classes at 9, but at 10.15 we will have our worship service, but we'll do it outside. Uh, some of you have been happy to hear we actually decided to get a, a jumbo tent out there and some folding chairs, So because there's no shade back there typically, uh, so hopefully there will be shade and, and plenty of room uh, for everybody to sit under there. You could still bring a chair if you want to. We're going to have, I think, 600 chairs, something like that, so there should be plenty uh, but if you want to bring chairs like if you want to sit outside of the tent or bring a blanket something or something like that that would be fine uh, but if you're planning to come next Sunday if you could RSVP uh, that would be helpful you can go to this URL that's up here and if you're inviting anybody to come with you it'd be helpful for them as they arrive and make it smoother for them as they arrive if they RSVP as well because uh, we give out tickets and whatnot to use at the food trucks afterwards so it just makes it smoother if you can do that in advance so I'm very much looking forward to that we're going to be starting the book of Genesis next Sunday as well. We're going to take, this may sound uh, crazy to some people, but we're going to take a whole school year and go through Genesis 1 through 11. And so we're going to go very slow uh, through that book, but it's very important, very fundamental, foundational part of God's word that I think increasingly in our culture is needed and relevant uh, for us to go back to the very fundamentals and basics of who we are who God is, uh, who this world belongs to, what he has said about it, how we got into the state we're in, but also God's heart to redeem us. And so we're going to start that next Sunday uh, when we worship together. But I hope that many, if not all of you, can join us uh, for that next Sunday. All right, we're going to be in James chapter 5. We're going to mostly look at one verse today, uh, James five sixteen. 16. Uh, but I want to set context of it, and I'm going to read a little bit around it, but we're mostly going to focus in on James five sixteen this morning. I wanted to start the, the sermon this morning with a quote from a Puritan named Thomas Manton, and it's, it's really short. Yeah, we talked about this in Sunday school. We've been doing a church history class, and they got up to the Puritans today, and I said, I'm going to quote a Puritan to start, and a few people were like, I'm going to cheer. So that was their cheer right there, the little woo they, for Thomas Manton. Okay, uh, he wrote this, uh, and this will set us up for the text and the subject we're going to be thinking about today of confession. He said, it is but folly to hide our sores till they are incurable. It is but folly to hide our sores till they are incurable. I thought that was a, a short, powerful way to say uh, what we're going to uh, speak about today. Uh, we do ourselves a great disservice. You do yourself a great disservice. I do myself a great disservice by hiding our sins from other people. We don't tend to think of it that way. Uh, we may think that by keeping it here, keeping it here, uh, that we're protecting ourselves, uh, that we are, uh, by keeping our sins in the dark, that we're actually benefiting ourselves, but we are not. Uh, sin 
I would suggest to you, and I think the scriptures speak clearly on this, is like a poison within us that needs to get expelled. Right? It's like a cancer within us that needs to be identified and needs to be treated as soon as possible. It's not something to hide, to conceal, to toy around with. Sin is strengthened by secrecy. It's not weakened by it. It's strengthened by secrecy. And I would suggest to you, and this text will say this to us, that confession of sin is actually a gift from God. Like we think of it as something to run away from, but it's actually a vital part of God's treatment regimen for us, for the sin that's in our life. A vital part of it is to confess our sins to fellow sinners. And it, like a lot of medical treatments, it might not be appealing to us. It's probably not appealing to you uh, in and of itself to confess sin to fellow Christians. You may want to do anything else in the world. Uh, that's often how treatment is for us. It may feel bitter, but I would suggest to you there is no path toward health and maturity as a Christian that doesn't involve the confession of your sin to fellow Christians. There is no path toward health. There's no path toward maturity that doesn't involve it. And so we're talking about this today, the subject of confession in this one verse in particular, because we're wrapping up. We've taken four Sundays. This is the fourth one. And we've taken about a month to focus in on this subject of community. Uh, We're trying this fall uh, to kind of revamp and relaunch what we have called life groups as a church. We're uh, seeking to call them community groups and reorganize and focus the purpose of them. And what are we trying to do in these groups? And we've said that the, the main point we want these groups to have, the main purpose we want them to serve, we've said that every week, but I'll say it again this last time, is that we want these groups to provide a consistent context in which members can personally stir each other up in faith and spur each other on in obedience to Christ. And we've, ta- we've taken these four weeks because there's four core things we want groups to do together. That if you're going to be part of a group, we would want you to come ready to at least share one of these things each time your group comes together. We talked the first week about how groups are to have celebrations to share. That we're to come together and celebrate regularly God's grace and goodness in our lives. Uh, the second Sunday, we talked about how when we come to our group, biblically we should come with cares to unburden, that we're to bear each other's burdens, to to share those sufferings and trials that we're going through. That's an important part of community. Last Sunday, if you were here, we talked about how we should come to group and, and fellowship with other Christians with counsel to seek, that these brothers and sisters are my counselors, uh, that, that they have value, they have instruction that they can give to me and that I can give to them as we try to live the Christian life. And this last one we, we've saved to last because I think it's the hardest uh, for us to think about, in our culture at least, is that when we come together in Christian community, we should come with confession to make confession of sin to share with fellow sinners and that feels vulnerable that feels risky to us and I I would say that it is Uh, but we're going to look at a verse that speaks very directly very clearly it's the most explicit clear text on this subject in all the bible that's why we picked it it doesn't mince words Uh, we're going to look at James 5 16 Uh, and my hope uh, for each of us this morning from this text is that God would impress upon you would impress upon all of us the importance of confessing your sin to fellow Christians. That, that any Christian community should be marked by this. 
that that it should be marked by a confession of sin. So this letter, a lot of you probably know some about it, but it was written by James. Uh, This was the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother. Jesus didn't have an earthly biological father, but they would have grown up together. He was a leader in the early church at Jerusalem. So it's written by him uh, to these early Christians. It is chock full of all sorts of practical wisdom and and commands and exhortations, and this is one of them uh, that we're going to come to today, James 5, 16. I'm going to read the paragraph that this is contained in so you can kind of see what's around it because it's going to be relevant to this central verse of 16. But I'm going to read from James 5, 13 down to verse 18 and then we'll zero back in right there in the middle of verse 16. So hear this. Uh, the, uh, the author continues under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. I want to summarize this message uh, very straightforwardly this way, and then we'll, we'll walk back through this text, is that Christian community should be marked by the mutual confession of sin to one another and prayer for one another. Uh, that Christian community should be marked by these two things, mutual confession of sin to one another and then mutual prayer for one another. That's pretty explicitly what James is saying there in verse 16. Uh, so in verse 16, James gives these two parallel commands, right? He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Those are the two commands we're going to spend most of our time on today, but there's a word before that, right? And the start of verse 16, he says, therefore, confess your sins and pray for each other. And so I want to take just a moment at least and think, what is that, what is that referring to? What's the context? What has he just been saying? That's why I read the verses that preceded it. Uh, So what he has just been saying, if you were paying attention to the first few sentences that I read, they're from James 5, uh, was he had just been talking about the power of praying, the power of prayer, right? He gives them these hypothetical situations. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing. But then in 14 and 15, he zeroes down into this pretty specific situation, right? He, He talks about, are any of you sick? And then he says, if so, then call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. And then he says he'll be forgiven. I don't have time to get into all of that. That text, those verses get grossly misused in the church today by some uh, denominations, by some preachers to say we just name it and claim it. If we just have enough faith and just pray in faith, we will always be healed. I do not think that's what he's getting at here. But he is getting at the power of praying, right? That it has great power. That's what he says in the verses that follow, verse 16 as well, is that there's power. He even gives example of Elijah praying. Um, But what I think he's doing in verse 16 is he's taking what he had just said, 
about elders coming and praying for a person and the power of prayer to even bring healing uh, physically for that person. He's taken that really specific way that we could pray and see the power of God. And it's like he's broadening it it in verse 16 uh, to a more general principle, a more general application right? That there is sin that can have all sorts of effect on a person's life and that is in need of healing, that's in need of change, that's in need of God's power to be shown in that person's life. And when we do not confess our sin, you see this in scripture numerous times, when we do not confess our sin, when it just stays within us, stays within our heart, it has a deep effect upon our soul. That we can try to pretend it doesn't, but it does. You can try to deny it, but it has this deep, profound effect on our souls. You read Psalm 32 sometime, the start of it. David was writing this psalm, and he's talking about this process of sin and of confession in his life. And one of the things he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, he says, he's imagining this time before he confessed. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And it's like as long as he kept this sin within himself and wouldn't share it with the Lord or with other people, he says his bones wasted away. There was this effect that was deep and profound in his life. But what James has been saying in the, the, what verses that precede 16 is that there is healing that can come, right? And that prayer is a powerful precursor to that. It's a powerful means to bring that about, to bring healing, to bring growth, to bring sanctification, And I believe what James is saying, the reason he says, therefore, confess your sins and pray for one another, is that he's trying to help us see. This was very helpful for me this week, and I think it will be for you as well. I think what he's doing with this verse 16 is showing that confession of sin to fellow Christians is a means to secure more prayer. It's not just to confess and just do that, but confessing is a means to get more praying to happen. It's a means by which to get brothers and sisters to come before God and to ask on your behalf for him to change you, right? So confession of sin, you see in this text here, I think, by how he's embedding it and surrounding it with this call, not just to confess, but to pray. And what he's really talking about is praying, but he's talking about confession as a means to it. Confession is not just what some people would call like catharsis. It's not just like a a therapy thing that you do just to make yourself feel better. Like, whew, I really got to get this off my chest. And I'm really glad that I just told this person or I just told this. Now I feel released because I, I confessed it. You may feel some of that, but God is up to much more than that. Right? He's not just about your peace of mind, although he cares deeply about that. He, he's about you being changed. He's about you being healed. And confession, the act of it, leads to praying. Right? That, and that is what we ought to be after. Uh, there's one writer I read who talked about confession almost, this is gross, just FYI for kids or grown-ups in the room. He talked about it like, like it's vomit, like that it's like vomit of the soul, confession. Often when we throw up, we just feel better because we threw up. And I think sometimes that's how we think of confession. is just, oh, I got that out of me. Whew, now I feel better. That is not how we should think about confession. Like confession, I would say to you, is a means to a better end. Like it's a means to get more praying to happen and then more healing to come to your soul. 
more change to come to your life. And so I wanted to note that, therefore, that's important to not just read verse 16 in isolation, but remember he's embedding it in this bigger context of praying. Like increased praying is going to lead to change. It's going to lead to healing in a person's life. So, but the two commands he gives, they're very simple, but they are hard for us to do. They are to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other. And so I want to take each of those in turn. This first one, confess your sins. Uh, this is the first step. If James is kind of imagining a two-step path to healing, a two-step path to being sanctified, to finding uh, relief, to finding growth, the first step on that path is confession of sin uh, to fellow Christians. Uh, I would just put this under this heading, very simple, is to confess your sins to fellow sinners. And I would note here for you, to make sure you read this text correctly, he doesn't just say, therefore, confess your sins and pray for each other. Right? He says who to confess them to. Right? And he doesn't say, confess your sins to God. Right? That is, we are to do that, 100%. Like, that is clear throughout the scriptures. There's example after example of it, of people confessing their sins directly to God. What James says is to confess your sins to fellow sinners. That is a far different thing, uh, something that's more intimidating, more daunting to us. Uh, but James is calling us to do just that. Uh, it is important to remember to confess our sins to God. God's the one who can give you pardon right? He's the one who can give you and grant you forgiveness of your sins. Uh, but you need more than just pardon, right? That is the most fundamental, profound thing is to receive pardon. But you also need increased power to overcome sin, right? You need to be sanctified. And the prayers of fellow Christians is a vital means towards that end. And a way to get that in increased measure is confessing our sin to them. We, when we confess our sins to fellow sinners, it's in the pursuit of prayer on our behalf, right? It's not in the pursuit of pardon. I don't go confess my sin to any of you thinking you can give me pardon. You can't, right? And you can come and sit in my office as one of your pastors and confess things to me. And guess what I cannot give to you? I can't give you pardon, that is not mine to give. That is no one in this room's uh, responsibility or purview to give you pardon. God alone can give that to you through Jesus. But what we can provide for each other is prayers. We can intercede for each other on each other's behalf to ask the Lord to change us, to grow us, to sanctify us. That is what we're after in the act of confession. But we struggle with this, don't we? We've, we find it very hard to confess our sin to fellow sinners. And there's a whole host of reasons. Probably the most powerful example I could think of of this was in literature, actually. It's in the story The Scarlet Letter, written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I don't have time to get an, into the whole story. But uh, there is an adulterous affair uh, that had happened, a fornication between this reverend and this woman in town. And she has been outed. She has been uh, publicly put on display as an adulteress. She has been this based back in uh, Puritan New England. Uh, but she, she had to be put on display on this platform in town publicly. And everyone saw it. There, the rest of her life, she was marked by this, even in very unhealthy ways. But there's this, the reverend that she had had this relationship with. His name's Reverend Demsdale. And there's this powerful scene that Nathaniel Hawthorne pictures where this man is lacking courage to actually confess his sin to anyone, 
let alone publicly. But what he tries to do to make his soul feel better is he goes out to that same platform uh, where she had been outed, where she had been put on public display, but he does it in the middle of the night. And he does it, it's like he feels within his soul, Nathaniel Hawthorne depicts this really well, he feels these like twin pulls, like he feels this deep remorse and sadness in his soul that's like driving him, I need to confess, like I have to get this out of me. But he, the author talks about how that uh, remorse has this sister of cowardice that's also pulling on him, that leaves him on a platform in the middle of the night when no one's there and it's just this sham of repentance the sham of confession that nobody actually hears and that does no good. Like he goes out there and nothing changes. Like he continues in his cowardice, he continues uh, keeping this within his bones and he just continues to, to have this sin eat away at him as long as it stays unconfessed and unknown by others. And we can relate to that in some ways. Maybe not to that degree or that specific, but we, I think, feel, if we're Christians, we feel this impulse, I need to make this known to people. Like, there's something in me compelling me to share this because I know I need to change. And I'm not finding change and power just in and of myself, but we have this sister to remorse, this sister to contrition called cowardice that makes us bite our tongue that keeps us from actually sharing, that keeps us, that thinks, what if they know? What will they say? What will they think? How will they respond? And we let that dominate. But what should be different about us as Christians is that we have the gospel. Like we have the good news of Jesus Christ and that and that alone is what, if you struggle to confess your sins with others, that good news of Jesus is the only thing that's gonna motivate you to do it. Like you, you could try to muster it up in yourself, try to just think, well, it'll be better for me, I'll feel relieved. You will not consistently or healthily do it until you understand the trueness of the gospel of Jesus, that you have security with God himself, not because you lack sin, but because you have a savior. Like until you understand that, you are not gonna have the courage and the confidence to confess your sin to fellow Christians because confession is risky. Confession is vulnerable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a a great book called Life Together, and he talks about confession in it. And one of the things he wrote was this. He said that confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It's a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is an ignominy. I cannot pronounce this word very well, sorry, is an ignominy that is almost unbearable. That's like this shame. It's like this unbearable shame that I can feel if, if I think all that's happening is me bearing my soul to a, a fellow human being. If that's all I think is happening, then I am going to be humiliated. I am going to feel intimidated. I'm going to feel reluctant to do it. But there is a reason that people don't generally do this in the world. Right? This is not a thing humans just do normally. Like, I'm going to bear my soul to you. I'm going to tell you my deepest, darkest secrets or even my smaller things that I've committed in recent days. There's a reason we don't do that. As humans, our default is to put our best foot forward, right? To pad our resume, to, to highlight the good that's in us and the good things that we've done and to, to try to hide what is sinful. It's like we do our own little personal brand management all the time. Like where we're trying to be perceived as godly and to hide the things that are ugly. 
Like we want people to see the good in us, but we want to close off what is sinful and evil even within us. But as Christians, we have the good news of Jesus that we don't need to hide from God. And we don't need to hide from each other. That we can be seen by God, uh, we can bear our soul with him, and because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can be loved by him. We can be accepted by him. And the same is true of, of us as fellow Christians, that we can bear our souls before each other. We can share our sin with one another, and we can know that of one another and still love each other. Still care for each other, still value each other, not in a way that's just based on, oh, you've sinned again, now, now my love for you is dissipating, but that a love that is based on grace, that is based on choice. And the good news of Jesus is this. I, I've heard Tim Keller, a pastor who just recent passed away, recently passed away, uh, watched his memorial service this week, so I was reminded of this. This is something he said in various ways, shapes, or forms that has always been an encouragement to me. He summarized the gospel this way, this good news of Jesus and of his cross and resurrection. He said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That is very true. That is spot on that. If you know that, that is what will help you learn to confess your sin to God and be open to confess your sin to fellow Christians. Is that I could confess everything I know to you all and that's just going to be the tip of the iceberg. Like there's always more. And guess who knows all of it? God. Yet guess who sent a savior for me? Like to bear even those sins I don't know about. Guess who sent a Savior to bear your sins at the cross? God the Father did. Like, he knows these things. He knows us through and through. Yet he chooses to show us grace. He sent a Savior to die for those very sins upon the cross so that we might not be marked by them and identified by them any longer, but that we could be forgiven and accepted fully by him as sons and daughters. We have this identity that is secure in him and that can be secure with each other because of it. And that is what allows us to open our hearts, to confess our sin to fellow Christians. Fellow Christians, we need to learn, I need to learn, we need to learn to hate our sin more than we love our reputation. Right? Like, which of those matters more to you? Like, do do you hate your sin as much or more than you love your reputation? Or phrased differently, which which matters more to you, the love of your Savior or your reputation? Like, which matters more to you? And that will lead you to either confess or to conceal. I want to share a few practicalities of what this looks like. He says, confess your sins to one another. I want to give a few quick application points uh, that you can flesh out in your own life uh, on this front. But the first one would be, as you contemplate this idea of confessing your sin to fellow Christians, is, would be this, is to use discretion. James is not saying in this verse, confess all your sins to every Christian. Right? You don't have an obligation to confess every sin that you know of to every Christian that you know. That's not even possible to do, right? but it also wouldn't be wise. But uh, there should be Christians in your life that you are confessing sin to, right? You can't obey this command otherwise. There, there should be some Christians in your life that you confess your sin to. How we're trying to embed that into the life of our church is going to be in these community groups that we're trying to, to, to 
relaunch or to start some new groups. That's the context where we're going to most be encouraging you as Christians to be confessing your sins to one another. One of the things we're trying to do with these groups as we relaunch them is we're going to be asking every group to have regular times where men meet with men. And where women meet with women, those settings in particular where we're going to be encouraging this to happen, uh, where there's a, a smaller number of people that you've built trust with that you can actually learn to confess your sin to them and them to you. And so use discretion about who you share with. They need to be Christians, right? And they should be mature Christians who you know love you and are for you. But you need to have people in your life that you confess sin to. And I would just note, like, we don't, as Protestants, we don't, as CCC members, confess our sins to priests. Like, there is not just some class of people or individual person that we confess our sin to. We ought to be confessing our sin to one another, right? He just talked about having elders come and pray, right? But then here he's broadening it out, like, to say, confess your sin to each other. Pray for each other. Like, this should be something we're doing not just with pastors, not just with certain leaders, but with actual fellow Christians, right? He says at the end of verse 16, he doesn't say the prayer of an elder has great power power as it's working, although he believes that based on what he just said. He says the prayer of a righteous man, the, the prayer of a Christian, like who's living by the Spirit, who knows Jesus, the prayer of that person, the prayer of you is powerful to pray for these brothers or sisters. So confess our sins to one another. We need to use discretion, but don't use that as a cover for silence, right? I would just say con- community groups are better than confessional booths. I would say that. They're a safer, more appropriate, better place to be sharing our sin and be reminding each other the truth of the gospel. So uh, that was the first point is uh, to, how did I say that, to uh, use discretion. The second one, and these will be more quick, is to take initiative when it comes to confessing of sin. Please do not just wait to be asked the perfect question. Like, if they know, like, if they figure it out and ask me, I'll admit to it. Like, that is nonsense. Like, that's just dancing around and hiding. He's commanding here, confess your sin to fellow Christians. That should be something you take initiative to do, not just waiting for people to coax it out of you, just waiting till they ask it in just the right way or just the right time. You should be doing an inventory of your soul and come ready to share things with fellow Christians third one would be to be specific when you confess your sins uh, to fellow Christians. Note that James doesn't just say confess your sinfulness to one another, right? He doesn't just say confess your sin like as a broad category. He says to confess your sins to one another. Like there's specific things each of us do and think, uh, ways we respond to people. There are ways you have sinned today. I can guarantee that. To every person in this room, there are ways I've sinned today. Not that we have to be on a hunt in a weird, morbid way to find them, but we sin regularly. Not just in our actions, but in our attitudes, our heart, the way that we orient ourselves towards people, the way we process things. We need to be as specific as we can with our sins so that people can pray for us more accurately, right? They already know you're a sinner, right? Like, they need to know the ways that you actually struggle to sin, the way you struggle, the way you actually sin, 
so that they can intercede more specifically, more powerfully for you. Uh, they need to know those things, right? And the last practical point on this front is to, ex- as you're confessing sin, is to accept responsibility for your sin. Like he says, confess your sins, right? Like sometimes we turn confession into this like weird like gossip type of session. Like, yeah, I'll acknowledge I did something wrong, but what I really want you to know is what they did wrong. Like what provoked this or what got me to this point. It's like we major on that and then we minor on what I did or what I said. But what we really want is sympathy of people and we want them to know why I did what I did. But James says confess your sins. Don't try in confession to major on what other people have done. Major on how they have harmed you, how they have hurt you. There's a place to talk about those things. But when you're confessing sin, make sure it's your sin. Like, make sure you are identifying the things you have done, the things you have said, the ways you have wronged people or disobeyed God. So we are to confess our sins to fellow sinners. Uh, But we have a responsibility based here on verse 16, not just to be a confessor of sin, but this isn't even a word, but to be a confessee of sin, right? Like that, that we have a responsibility to hear those things. If it's happening every direction, we have a responsibility to receive those, right? To hear them. And then he says to pray for them, to pray for fellow sinners. This is going to be the second final point is that you are called by God as a Christian to pray for fellow sinners. So he says that explicitly here, right? Pray for one another that you may be healed. If we are going to pray for one another, if we're going to actually intercede for each other after a person has confessed to us, I would suggest to you that it's important even before you pray for them, which is of utmost importance, but before you pray for them, it's important that you think about how you respond to them as they confess their sin, right? It's not just important that you ultimately pray for them, but how do you respond when they actually share it? Like, what do you do with that? Like, how do you, as a fellow Christian, respond to that? Uh, There's a a pastor in Tennessee named Sam Sam Alberry uh, who wrote this when he was talking about confession and the the receiving of confession even before we pray for a, a fellow believer. He wrote this. He said, be unshockable. When we know our own depravity, it's hard to be surprised at someone else's. If we're unshockable because we know how sinful and depraved we are, we make it much easier for others to confess. I thought that was a wise word, a helpful word, that as people share things with us, as they have mustered the Spirit-given courage uh, to confess sin to you, handle that responsibly. Like, please do not respond with this disgust or with this disdain for this person if they are somehow some monster who is wholly different from you. Like, seek to be as much as you can unshockable. That, that when they share this, they know they're talking with a fellow sinner. They, they know they're talking with someone who can resonate, who can sympathize with them. Even if they haven't struggled, even if you haven't struggled or given in to that particular sin, you've given in to some that they have not, right? Be unshockable. Like, no, I need God's grace just as much as the person sitting across from me who's confessing this thing to me. And guess what? It's going to be my responsibility to confess to them the very next thing, right? There's a reciprocal deal that we do together, that we respond with grace toward each other, right? But when somebody shares, I think a few simple things that you should do, even as a precursor to praying for them, would be to thank them for confessing their sin, 
right? Don't take it lightly that they have done that, that they've opened up to you. Sometimes when we share something, there's this instant regret. Like as it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could grab that and put it right back in and go back to that, that state I was just in. But when people confess things, thank them for that. That is an honor and a privilege for you to hear that, for them to entrust that to you, to pray for them and care for them. Remind them what James just said, the chapter before this, James 4, 6, where he said that God gives grace to the humble, right? Remind them of that because they're going to be tempted by the enemy as soon as they confess to regret it, but affirm to them, this is what we do, brother. This is what we do, sisters. We confess our sin and we remind each other of the good news of Christ. Another thing you should do is, this is important in confession, is affirm their hatred of that sin, right? And their desire to put it to death. Sometimes what passes as confession or like accountability for each other is a joke. Like what we do is when somebody confesses something to them, out, I think it's well-intentioned, we have a good desire, but it's like we try to immediately reassure them like, oh, that's not that bad. Like, oh man, like don't be so hard on yourself. Like that's no big deal. Like I've dealt with that. Like we've all dealt with that. Like that's sometimes our instinct is to like downplay the significance of what they just shared. We ought not do that as Christians. Like we should sympathize with them. But if we try to pretend like that sin is no big deal, like we try to pretend like that that was not significant, like that that didn't deserve the death of Christ, we are actually undermining the gospel. Like, we we're actually uh, diminishing the importance of the cross in their life by just th- making them think that their sin isn't that bad. That is not the tone that our, our confession should have where it's just immediately responded with downplaying, right? Like, we should affirm them, like, brother, sister, thank you for confessing. That is a, a weighty thing. Like, and our sin has necessitated it. It's deserved God's wrath. But then point them to the cross, Like, point them to the cross for forgiveness. You don't want their comfort and their ease of conscience to come from knowing you relate to them, right? That is hollow. Like, for them to know, oh, they relate to me, I feel much better. What they need to know is there is a cross where that sin was atoned for, right? Where that that penalty was absorbed by Jesus. So don't downplay their sin. Point them to Jesus. They need to know more. They don't need to think their sin isn't that bad. What they need to know is that their Savior is that great, right? That is the tone that our our conversations and confession should have, right? And we should point them as, as brothers and sisters to steps that they could take to try to grow in obedience, right? Like, because confession is not repentance, right? Confession is like a precursor, a part of repentance, but confession should lead to actual change. It should, it should be part of a process where we actually start to grow in obedience, where we actually start to change the way that we live, that we don't just keep running back to that thing again and again and again. So one thing you can do as a brother or sister, as you hear their confession, is in that moment or as time goes on, help them think through, what do I do to actually be free of this? Like, what are steps I can take that you can take to try to guard yourself, to try to, to diminish temptation and also to bolster your heart in the good news of Jesus. Try to help them think through that. But the most important thing from this text that you can do for someone who confesses sin to you is to pray for them. That is what this text demands of you. Uh, I think it's implied how we listen, but what is commanded is that you pray for them. That is the key to this paragraph, to this text, is that you 
pray for that brother or sister who has confessed their sin to you. There's a a church father named John Chrysostom. Uh, He wrote this about prayer and the power of prayer because I think sometimes we think so little of praying. We just think of it as like a a thing we kind of do and we don't see the point of it sometimes. But listen to what he said, drawing on scripture itself and drawing on history. He said this, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Like he knew this from what the scriptures say. And you've probably felt that, gotten glimpses of that before, the power of praying. But you have great power as a fellow Christian when someone confesses a sin to you. And they know they need freedom of it. They know they need health. They know they need to change. They know they need the power of God. You could be part of bringing that to be, right? By your prayers, by your intercession for them. That's the logic of this text is when healing's needed, guess what we do? We pray for each other for that very healing. We pray for that very power to overcome that sin and to be made whole. So we ought to be people who don't just hear a confession and point them to the cross in that moment. That should be what we do, but then we should pray for them, right? Pray for them in front of them so they can hear you. Right? Pray for them in private. There's great power when we pray in private where we're unseen. Pray for things like conviction that's ongoing for that sin. That it may not just be a flash in the pan. Pray for contrition, that there'd be a brokenheartedness over it. Pray for assurance if they're a Christian, that they would remember there is a cross that, that speaks of God's love and pardon for them. Pray for obedience from that person. Not just that they would have an eased conscience, but they'd actually have obedience in their life. Pray for the power of the Spirit to be at work in them. If there is a brother or sister who is floundering in sin, who is weighed down by it, we have a responsibility to pray for them regarding it, right? Like we ought not to look down our nose at them like, oh man, they're just struggling so much, I can't believe it. Guess who holds the keys to potentially help them? Us. Like we have a responsibility to pray and pray and pray. And if God has done all these things in prayer, can he not free this brother or sister from this bondage of sin? He's done it in your life, right? Can he not do it in theirs? May we ask him for it. So pray for them and then circle back with them. When people confess sin to you, don't just let it fall uh, there on the ground and deal with it right then and then just forget it. Make mental notes. Make even maybe written notes to yourself to ask them how that is going. Uh, Ask them, hey, how has the Lord been helping you or not in recent days with that sin that you confessed with us? Uh, Let them know that you are praying for them. When you bring something back around like that, it means the world to people. And it will encourage them to share again with you, right? Because they know it's not just falling flat. They know that you are aiming prayers up to heaven on their behalf. And it's going to increase their desire to share more with you, right? So circle back. Ask them how things are going. Ask them how the Lord has helped them or not. Continue to pray for them. So 
Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. I have enjoyed these four weeks of going through these messages. I hope if you've been with us, they've been helpful to you, instructive to you. But the overarching tone of these messages and what we're trying to carry forward into these groups is that God made us for mutual ministry to each other. That's how he made us in his image, is that that we're interpersonal, that we help each other. And we need spiritual brothers and sisters that we can celebrate with, right? That we can share our burdens and cares with, that we can give counsel to and receive counsel to, that we can confess sin to and pray for one another. We need that. And I will acknowledge, you could find those things in places other than a community group, right? You could try to piecemeal them together. I won't deny that. But the best way, the organized way we're trying to provide that, encourage us to do these very four things, is through these groups. And so, so some of you I know maybe used to be in a group and you've kind of drifted for various reasons. Maybe some were warranted at the time you've drifted away. I'm asking you, be restored. Like, come join one again. Be part of healing. Be part of helping other brothers and sisters to actually function well in community. Some of you have never been in a community like this and it scares you. But you need brothers and sisters to do these things with you. If you're going to grow in grace and you're going to grow in faith and obedience to Jesus, you need people to do these things consistently and they need you. So I would encourage you, sign up to be part of one of these groups. Uh, Sign up to, to join one of these. I'll share more at the end how to do that. But you could find those things through other means in the, within the church. But I just encourage you to prayerfully think and consider whether you could be ongoingly a part of one of these groups or sign up to join and be part of one of them moving forward. It will greatly benefit your fellow Christians and it will greatly benefit 